And good morning and hello to all of you, no matter what time it will be, whenever you'll listen to the CD or watch later on on Facebook or whatever it may be, and all those are out in the land of webcast. This is all new technology, and we have new means and ways to, to reach people like never before. We realize that, don't we? Very cost-effective, very effective in general, but uh, some of the tools that we have at our disposal, you know, even the, the apostles didn't have tools like this in their time. So we have a better way to reach people than, than ever before, and what a message it is. What a gospel message of good news that the Father has put before us in print to help us guide our lives, to help us through our troubles, to guide us through all the confusion that the God of this world, lowercase g, has brought, all the dissatisfaction with all the events that we see going on in the world. Brethren, I can't be the only one that's dissatisfied by the things that we see going on in this, how do I say this because I kind of hesitate a little bit, in this great land of ours, this land of opportunity, the great United States of America. Now I can stand up here and say that I'm none too proud of some of the things that she's embraced. But I can't think of any other place that I would rather be right now in the world. Matter of fact, I don't think it's very safe out there in the world, but be that as it may, um, do we realize that we have a great God? That we have a God who is, is very personal, who is very aware of you and aware of me and aware of our problems, aware of our victories, aware of our excitements, aware of our sadnesses, that he is an emotional God and we have a direct link to him through his son Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, that our God, we have our God's attention day in and day out. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and the world's religion because although I don't have a, a very big issue with the world religion because you look at it, the term from Latin, the Latin term religion, which means to reconnect that which was separated when used properly. Religion is a good word, but you see, we have something much more than a religion. We have something called relationship that is ultimately going to bring us and afford us the opportunity to be resurrected into God's kingdom and to follow the greatest man who has ever existed. I can't help but, I can't help but be moved by that long list of prayer requests. Brethren, there are a lot of people out there, people whom we know, dear family members of ours, dear friends of ours who are out there who are suffering. Sicknesses, trepidations, anxieties, and it is our job as future kings and priests to bring their name before God's throne. As a matter of fact, it's, since Wayne Hendricks is in the audience here, it's one of the first things I remember him teaching. That is when we're praying for somebody else, that's when we're most Christ-like. Correct, Wayne? Because he is the grand intercessor. He is the one who hears us and goes on behalf of the Father, before the Father on our behalf, and appeals for us. And we have to know that he has our attention. Through every affliction, whether something comes out of left field or self-induced, <laughs> we do that a lot, don't we? We self-induce afflictions on ourselves that God has our attention. And one of the, the best stories I can think of, you guys remember the story of Hezekiah, how God is in fact moved by our human emotions. And how is the, he is the creator of our human emotions. And that when we go to God before his throne, when we lack words or we, we, we lack the means to articulate what it is that's on our hearts, Romans chapter 8 tells us that Sometimes we groan and we utter things the Holy Spirit knows and we don't even know that we're saying sometimes. You ever realize that? You ever just broke down before, before God? And you realize, <laughs> my words are so insufficient at this moment. There are no words that are going to describe what I'm feeling right now. And you just groan. You ever done that? You groan inside. And you cry and you have these emotions. I sometimes think we, we underestimate how God can decipher that language, if you want to call it that, those emotions, the, the, the language of emotion. It's incumbent upon us to, to pray for one another. And that's not what I want to talk about today, but as I heard that long list of prayer requests, I couldn't help but be moved by it. So 
Remember to pray for one another. Brethren, turn over with me, if you would, please, because I, I got a predicate scripture that I want to bring up here. But um, before I go into this, I just want to say that it's been a while since I've seen everybody up here. <laughs> I can't remember when the last time it was I was up here. As a matter of fact, that I even had to cancel the last recording of the armor of God because Angie and I have been living in a world of this trying to sell our house and try to find a new house. And I have no office right now. All my books, all my notes, everything is packed. As a matter of fact, this is how prepared I am. These are my notes for today. I've got one page of notes. And, well, I'm sorry, what's that? Yeah, thank God I've got this much, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank God I've got this much. <laughs> but no, it's not because you, didn't, you don't wear your deodorant up here or anything. It's not why, why, I've, been, why I've been absent. Um, I have a great affection for this congregation, specifically as we, <laughs> we move from Bath to Medina. This is the congregation which I cut my teeth in the ministry a lot of times. My speaking assignments were, uh, by and large, directed up here for recording purposes and things like that. So I have a great uh, affection for the church uh, in Medina. So we've been a little bit busy We've been a little bit on this roller coaster ride of emotion. See, we have, we have had our house on the market now for four months. And the national average to sell your house is 10 days. So we're well above the average of, of selling our house. So what we thought was going to be a short hiatus turned out to be a four-month ordeal. And you can never predict how these, these things go. But we have been virtually day in and day out have been living in our car while real estate agents want to show our house, sometimes for hours on end, with three kids, my wife, and four dogs, for hours at a time. And you want to talk about distractions, you want to talk about uh, things that get in your way, things that, uh, well, I've already said it, but distractions from what you're supposed to be doing. So believe me when I tell you, I'm very thankful to be here today, because I didn't know if I was going to make it because of all the circumstances, but... Really why I'm talking about that, the aspect of selling our house is because I think we finally got an offer on our house and we found a property uh, that we want to buy and we're in contract with that too. It's a 36-acre farm and it puts us a little bit closer to Medina, a little bit farther from Columbus, but it's kind of a happy medium between the two, so we'll be closer to here, a little bit farther from Columbus, but you know the integers work out where it's about, not quite halfway, but roughly halfway. Um, but really, we, we spent some time today just trying to map out what our course would be from the new house to here. But I don't know about you, but I can't help but be moved at the beauty of God's creation. Did you notice that when you were driving to church today? The beauty, the magnificence, the, the knowledge, the thought, the creativity, and the love that God has put in his creation for us. And, and just to set the record straight, why most of the world believes in this thing called evolution, I, I just have to say this. I have to, I have to lend our brothers across the pond some credit here. I love the way they say it. We call it evolution. They call it evil-lution. <laughs> How appropriate. Evolution. But we couldn't help but be moved by the magnitude of God's creation and how he has set us, human beings, on this earth, on this sphere that seems to float out in the middle of nowhere, just perfectly hanging out there, not moving to the left, not moving to the right. Now, is there even such thing as up and down in space, or is it just out? It's just out. We stay here in this perfect hovering of the sun and moon and their travels, that gives us this gravitational field that makes things perfect for the facilitating of God's plan for creation. This, in fact, this world was created in the androcentric sense, which means God created this for you and me to simply facilitate a dream that he had, a love that he had. And somehow when, and I remember Garner Ted Armstrong saying this, that when God thought of the concept of man, the concept of us. You know, your odds of being born are four trillion. Four trillion to you ever becoming a human being. That is pretty rare. To ever to be born as a human being. 
But he sets us here on this fear, and he sets us here on this earth as we live with creation in this perfect symbiotic relationship with the ecology that he has set forth, the things that he has created. Do you realize that everything that he has created is for the sole purpose of facilitating his plan of salvation and for facilitating mankind? To to a lot of people out there in the world, what I'm talking to you about today is hogwash. That all this happened by random circumstances. That somehow, all this came together as an accident. You don't believe that, do you? You in the webcast land, you don't believe that, do you? That something doesn't come from nothing. And that design and order comes from a creator, and that everything that we see, do you not, do you not agree with me when I say that everything is created with purpose and design behind it, and that God knew what he was doing when he created it? You see, Angie and I, in looking at this, this farm that we're trying to buy, and please pray for that, because it has been such an up-and-down yo-yo, yo-yo ride for us. All the ups and downs, the emotional ups and downs. Yes, we sold our house. No, they backed out. Yes, we sold our house. No, they backed out. Let me tell you, selling a house nowadays takes months. It does. And it it really wears on you. But we're looking at this farm and we're thinking about all the possibilities. It's built in 1890. I took my mom, (laughs) God bless her, I took my mom out there to see it. And uh, she's a, you know, here we are all excited. We're, we're ready to get started. We're ready to put the elbow work into it and get things going the way they're supposed to. And my mom says, what a piece of junk. <laughs> what a piece of junk. And we're, we're thinking, what? A piece of junk? It looks beautiful. And she's going, oh, no, Tony, you're walking downhill from the kitchen. The kitchen goes downhill. You know what you're getting yourself into? Well, I thought I did. Till now, you know, all of our dreams just kind of... Kind of got deflated at that moment. <laughs> so, so now, you know, you know, you know, what do you do? You make decisions, you hope it's the right decision. But I'll tell you what, I would rather live on a farm than, than live uh, within 10 feet of my neighbors because that within itself can breed some of its own problems we've dealt with over the last 10 years. But we're getting an opportunity to understand and to research what it's going to be like to get closer to the land. Because we are so far removed from the land that sometimes I think we take our blessings for granted because we go to the grocery store and there's the meat packaged for us, there's the milk in a container, there's very little consideration, and I'm not saying, I'm not putting thoughts in your mind or, or assigning motivations to you, but I'm, I'm just revealing to you what I think sometimes, and that is I don't give much thought to it. As a matter of fact, I'm not even allowed to do a lot of the grocery shopping anymore because every time I go there, Angie gets mad at me because I messed it up so terribly. You remember one time she sent me to the store for dinner and I came back with this great big roll, three pounds of hamburger, no buns, no, no side dishes, but I was like, look at the deal I got on this hamburger. She was upset with me. I thought I'd done something great. You know? But wow, she's going to be happy about this. But, but here we are in this androcentric creation And we are beneficiaries of this goodness that God has created. And over here in Genesis chapter 1, if you turn there with me, if you would, please. Because I'm going to bring up an issue, or not an issue so much as it is a topic, that maybe we haven't thought about for quite some time. And don't fall asleep on me today because I'm going to bring this, hopefully my goal is to bring the issue that I'm going to talk about today into contemporary issues because we're dealing with some very contemporary issues in our country that bring about certain pressures on our youth, uh, certain questioning of doctrines that serves us right to remind ourselves. It doesn't hurt to do that sometimes, just to sit back and look and say, why do we do what we do? Why do we believe what we believe? And what are the associations connected to us when we do certain things that we find written in God's law that were written for our health benefits specifically And, you know, for our good. And he says here, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So would we agree here that in the context of this scripture here, that what God is telling us is that he has created everything, even not only, not only the things that, 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 that keep this earth revolving in a perfect alignment to have the gravitational fields and the atmosphere to be conducive to life, but everything that sits with on the terra firma in this earth, from the cattle, the birds of the air, do we agree that they all have a purpose? Every part of God's creation facilitates a purpose. It facilitates a symbiotic relationship and an ecology that is conducive to healthy living. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Let's just continue down here. He said, then let God, or excuse me, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So a little bit of insight to the scriptures here as God goes down through the creation, this narrative here, and he finally gets down to mankind. Would you agree that man is the apex of God's creation? That God has a special role in this creation, and we are supposed to subdue and have dominion to cultivate, to live, to facilitate living on this earth and life, and to live a good life according to his likeness and his image. You see, there's more to being a son of God than just being created in his image. To be made in his likeness or to, to be like God in his character and conduct. And there's a lot more to that than, than what meets the eye. But when it comes to God's creation, you see, you and I know something about God's creation that most people today don't quite understand when it comes to the specific purpose of some of these animals. Church, can we eat everything that we want to? Has God created certain things to be eaten and some things not to be eaten? I'm seeing everybody shake their heads yes, and you would be right. And today what I'm going to be talking about today is clean and unclean meats, but specifically to bring it to contemporary issues, the eating of pork is not a Muslim issue. That is a contemporary issue within our society as things begin to press upon us and as, as immigration of some people from the, uh, the Muslim faith uh, begin, to brought, be, begin to brought into the United States of America. We now face contemporary issues of things that we've long settled in our hearts as far as what we should put into our bodies, what we shouldn't put into our bodies. God has given us a perfect outline to follow. However, with that being said, would you not agree that we have certain, how do, how do I put this? Because I've got to stay politically correct lest I get in trouble here. We have certain issues <laughs> pressing upon us to change our culture to facilitate, and I'm not going to apologize for this, a heathenistic evil culture that wants to change everything about us and they see themselves as a part and outside of our laws to set their own laws and their own agendas. And I'm not going to apologize for this. But if we believe that Islam is a peaceful religion, we have not done our studies. We have not looked at the reality of what's coming to the United States of America. And don't believe me about what's coming to America. Look at Europe. Look at the influences and look at the changes. Look what's coming here. And everybody in their, in their mode of self-protection, because nobody wants to wear this scarlet letter of, of bigot or racist. But everybody wants to tell you that if you cry out or you, you somehow utilize God's word to speak the truth, that might bring certain people offenses regarding this thing called Islam, and, and more even specifically, the evil that Sharia law brings to our land. Anybody ever done a study on Sharia law? Have you ever read how evil Sharia law is? It is absolutely, as a matter of fact, let me see here. Let me take a look at this real quick. I'm going to read a little bit to you today from Sharia law because... 
I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is a big, let's say that kind of relatively, let's just say that there are enough pressures out there to change the dietary programs in our public schools, in our public places, even in fast food restaurants, to facilitate, facilitate people who adhere to Islamic dietary laws. Angie deals with this every day. People putting pressure on the, on the teachers, administration, to come up with a, a, a no-pork diet. And the funny thing about it is, here we are, a, a nation of Judeo-Christian principles, and here we have the Christian side of things saying, no, no, add more pork. <laughs> add more gelatin. Let's not talk about Ramadan. Let's talk about Halloween and Christmas and Easter. So we have these two ideologies, both wrong, converging. And here we are, you and I, our children going to school. And you know what the first question, it used to be people used to ask us this. Are you Jewish? You remember those days? I call those the good old days. <laughs> now, now people, what they'll say, are you Muslim? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not Muslim. But we even have these, this controversy in, in, the, in the public school um, to change all these dietary laws. At the same time, we're getting this kickback from the Christian community saying, no, no, we're not going to do that. And it's ironic that they're both arguing over this, and there's not one of them that is right about this issue. Christians do not follow. We don't believe in kosher diets. Do you realize that? Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because we do understand that we're supposed to you know, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, there are certain things that God says we're supposed to eat, we're not supposed to eat, but you know, that's not kosher. Kosher is a process by which they tear down the machines, they clean the machines out, a rabbi uh, priest uh, uh, prays over it, and that is considered kosher. We're not required to do that, nor are we required, nor do the, the Islamics uh, practice a biblically-based dietary law. Now, sometimes we think that they do. That's the one thing we have in common because they don't eat pork. That is where the similarities and the differences end and begin. That's it. They don't eat pork. They don't eat the, well, I'll get into that a little bit here. But all these different ideas, but really what's at the push of this and while the dietary laws, sometimes I wish I was a little bit more tech, technologically astute here, but I'm not. Why these dietary laws are being called into question and or changed, we are also dealing with at the same time what most people would be call a very radical, a radical form of, of Islam. And as soon as I can get this, I was going to read this, read this here to you. That is by and large enforced, oh, here we go, by this thing called Sharia law. Now what the world will tell you is, and what you see on the, the media day in and day out, that a lot of these things that we see going on in the world, from terrorist attack, to the violence that's brought about, to people seeing themselves out, outside of, of American law, that, that is a few radicals. And while the, the execution of those things and the and, 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 the, and the public attacks and things like that, they might be carried out by a few radicals. The bottom line is the most radical form of Islam is found in Sharia law. Do you know that? And Sharia law, th th this, this statistic it really startled me. You know that Sharia law is adhered to or believed by roughly 85% of the Islamic world. Do, do you understand that? Do you, do you, have you ever read that before? I got it right here in print. Sharia law is the law of Islam. Muhammad's word called, now, I don't speak Islamic, so I'm going to do my best here, hadith. It's hadith, Muhammad's words. His actions called sunnah, and the Quran, which he dictated, Sharia law itself cannot be altered, but the interpretation of Sharia law called uh, fiqh by uh, muftis, Islamic jurist, is given some latitude as a legal system Sharia law is exceptionally broad. While other legal codes regulate public behavior, this is very important because this is what Sharia law wants to do. It's what it wants to do. While the legal codes regulate public behavior, Sharia law regulates 
public behavior, private behavior, and even private beliefs. They want to enforce upon our country their belief system. Not just your conduct, not just their influence. They don't want you to get a choice on what you think about. They're, they're, to them, there is no other God but Allah. Allah is a moon God. He is a false God. He is not a true deity. Okay? And according to... Um, it says, Sharia law is deemed the most intrusive and restrictive, especially against women. Now, here's the part that I don't understand. We have people in our country, in the media, who want to say that people who cry out against Islam are bigots and racists and things like that. A lot of them are women, while at the same time denying the fact that Sharia law is so anti-woman Sometimes you wonder, do they think a woman is even better than a dog? Sometimes in their mind. You know, you know what Muhammad taught about dogs, don't you? That dogs are supposed to be beaten and kept outside because they are one of the most dirty creatures and you shouldn't even have contact with them. I wonder sometimes if they don't think women to be the same thing or maybe even lesser than a dog in their eyes. Let me read to you from Sharia law because this is how they execute their, their form of justice and how they, they justify what they do. Sharia law. Theft is punishable by amputation of the hands. Includes graphic image, which I won't show you. Criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable by death. You want to talk about freedom of speech being eroded? You have no opinion. That's what they want. They want to take your opinion away. Criticizing Muhammad or denying that he is a prophet is punishable by death. Criticizing or denying Allah is punishable by death. A Muslim who becomes a non-Muslim is punishable by death. You start to get the sense that, that this religion really likes death. They like to exact the death penalty for some things that are so, so minute and so anti-God, if I can. Anti-God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from Islam is punished by death. A non-Muslim man who marries a Muslim woman is punishable by death. It's kind of a, a bleak, hopeless religion if you think about it. It's about control. And here we get into what's really so bad about it. A woman or a girl who has been raped cannot testify in court. What? What does the Bible say? Let a fact be established by two or three witnesses, and now you hear have somebody, you have the victim not even allowed to testify in court. Well, let's, let's hear who gets to testify. Testimonies of four male witnesses are required to prove, prove the rape of the female. It's a shame, isn't it? Legalized violence against women. Unless you think I'm... I'm being too harsh. Let's continue down through here. A woman or girl who alleges rape without producing four male witnesses of guilty of adultery. She's not guilty of anything. She just doesn't have four witnesses. And you think about a scenario of group evil. Some men get together. They're not talking. She's on her own. Let's continue down through here. Because she's guilty of adultery, a woman or girl found guilty of adultery is punishable by death. So by and large, what they're saying here, if a woman comes forward and say, and say that, that, that she's been raped, guess what? It almost always means the death penalty for her, no matter what, because you're not going to get anybody to say otherwise. You're not going to get a true witness to this. And this is what people or pro proponents in our media and our government are supporting. And we're supposed to believe that there's nothing wrong with this. We're just supposed to take it, swallow it, digest it, and move on with life. I hope the church of God is not underneath that same influence. No, we are not taught, nor we are told by our Creator to take everything at face value. He tells us to study to show thyself approved. Right? Prove everything. Prove all things. Test all things. And now we have some very cultural changes coming to America. There's so much here, brethren. It is so anti-God, the things that are in here. 
Oh, let's get to this one, because here, oh, here's a great one. Oh, yeah, here we go. We wonder why women in Islam wear this garb, the head coverings and these long robes. And we've always heard that it's for a woman's protection, but yet in our, in our culture, you know, I don't know, if you've ever gone to the store and you see someone wearing all these garbs and the, these robes, I'm thinking, oh, man, what's coming next? Because you see it, you see the scenes in the Middle East and Israel and, and sometimes even in our own streets of the United States of America, we're taught to fear this garb. Because you don't know if there's something you know, strapped around the waist or what's going on. But you know why they say it's a form of protection for women? Because a woman in Islam, if she's wearing that, cannot be raped. If she's not wearing it, guess what? She is allowed to be raped. Brethren, I can't, I can't make this up. I cannot make this stuff up. I, cannot, I will not be able to sit in my chair at home and think in my wildest imaginations, such atrocities against humanity. And sometimes we wonder what is going through the minds of people when they come up with these things. Well, I can tell you it's not God's spirit. I don't care how much people want to tell you that Allah is the same God as our Christian testament. He is not. Do not believe it. Allah is not the same as Jehovah. He's not. That's the difference between the Christian culture. When you look at it from this geopolitical worldview, that Christianity, those who adhere to Judeo-Christian beliefs, we have an affection and a protection for life and liberties and true justice. You don't find that in the Quran. You don't find that with Allah. I'm sure you've seen those bumper stickers. Allah is the same God as your Christian test. Have you ever seen that? Allah is the same as Jesus Christ? No, he's not. But the reason I'm saying all this is is because all these things that are coming upon us hit us through either legislative action in which they try to appeal to our government to change laws. One of the biggest, I should say, influential groups that are trying to change law in America in order for them to be separated from our American laws, in order to, to embrace their Sharia laws. In other words, they can't be tried in American courts only by their, their Sharia courts, is the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, I've got a pretty decent memory. And I know Americans, by and large, have a short memory. Do you guys remember who the Muslim Brotherhood is? You remember Mubarak? One of the closest things we had to an ally that side of Jerusalem and the Middle East and Egypt. Do you remember who overthrew Egypt? It was the Muslim Brotherhood. I just find it sickening that our connections and associations and government lead us back to this thing called Islam consistently. I see it all the time. But we look at this and, and you even see it by force. There was a man in Canada, and this is why I like to bring up Europe and Canada our allies, because the way that our world laws are set up, if you want to do trade or commerce with a certain nation, then you also have to embrace also their ethical laws in their nation as well. There was a man arrested in Canada here just recently because he dared walk his dogs in front of a Muslim gathering. Arrested for walking his dog in a free land, a democratic society. And in the streets of New York, there's this cleric who likes to, um, I guess, emulate what he sees in a lot of street corner preachers, Sunday preachers, as he likes to stand out there and harass people. Has he ever seen those guys stand on the corner? Convert to God today or you're going to burn in hell. You've seen those street preachers. Well, there's now coming an insurgency of these street preaching Muslim clerics that like to harass people walking down the street. And this one lady was walking down the street, and he was just harassing her, almost to the point of, 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 of exceeding that of a verbal altercation, almost getting physical because she was not addressed according to the way Sharia law would have her dress. And that's what happens when you live in a society that by and large law is dictated to you, and you live under, under tyrants and under fear of death, is when you come to a different country that's based on liberties and freedoms as the Bible dictates, you don't know how to conduct yourself because you've had no other ways of learning outside of our laws. 
And the fact of the matter is, everything from religion to our private thoughts are encroached upon by this religion. And sometimes we don't even recognize it because sometimes we think that the, some of the associations and some of the, how do I put this, the contemporary issues such as the pork issue in schools are actually good. Well, I can tell you that Islamists don't follow the same dietary laws that we do. Have you ever studied that? The dietary laws of Islam? Pork is where it begins and ends as far as similarity is concerned. There is nothing else that is even close regarding what God says and what Islam says. So roughly 85% of the world's Islamic um, belief system is on a mission to enforce their way of doing things. But when it comes to this issue of what we should eat and shouldn't eat, there's nobody here that believes that we should be eating pork, I'm sure of that. It was the one thing that in my life, as God began to call me, that I, I, I struggled with when it comes to God's law. Anybody remember the days and when God was bringing you into, into the calling and you were learning new things? And the last thing that I wanted to give up was my pork chops. I, I still got a friend today. I've known him since, wow, the 80s sometimes. He said, he said you know, Tony, I didn't even eat shrimp until you introduced me to it. So we kind of say that joking back and forth. I don't eat it now, but he does because I got him hooked on it way back when. But it was the one thing that I found myself faltering with because there is so much disinformation out there regarding what is clean and what is unclean. And some of the religious tracts that you get, they're pretty convincing if you don't do your own studies. It sounds pretty good on the surface what they say. Jesus declared all things clean. Oh, I don't need to hear anymore. Let's shut this thing down. Let's go have some lobster tail when the worldwide church of God, when they started to change doctrines, matter of fact, is when they were well into the changing of doctrines, a lot of you lived this, I didn't, but a lot of you were there when this happened. Remember one of the first things that they changed? Besides the Sabbath day. Oh, it's okay to go out and have some lobster tail this week. Because we look at this again, and we're getting away from this legalistic set of laws. Don't, don't you just cringe when people say that we are legalistic? I don't have a problem with being legalistic. It's the, it's the accusation and the force that's really behind that. That's what I have a problem with when they say you're legalistic. What they're really saying is, you're wacko. You're out of your mind. And I'll often retort, yes, I know that, but that's a different subject. I know that I'm a little bit off my rocker here sometimes. That's a different subject, but... There's so much pressure out there, um, especially when your kids go to public schools like mine do. Anybody have, are your kids in public schools? My, old, my uh, youngest son now is homeschooled. I don't know how that's working out because he seems to sleep in later and later, so I think he's staying up later and later too. So I wonder, I'll have to look at his grades when I get home. But the public school is by and large filled with people that... Let's just call it what it is. To be in our culture is a very rare thing. And they're surrounded by people and teachers and children their age that want to influence from not only what they wear, but to what they eat. And I, I found this a very funny exercise. See, Angie, when was that? A couple weeks ago now? I have a friend who always has this big cookout. We get, we've gone to it twice. One of the best men you'll ever meet in your life. A nice guy, give you the shirt off of his back. I got nothing bad to say about them. You see, but my kids now have started to date. This is my first meeting with their dates, and that was fun. That was fun. Because I could see them sitting on pens and needles. When I got in the car, I just looked back at their dates. And I could see my daughter going, oh, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. And I just looked at him and said, how much you bench press, son? And he looked at me, kind of, oh, I don't know. I, don't, you know, I just fooled him. I was just messing with him. But um, long story short, I got to sit there and watch my kids get a little bit uncomfortable because as we're going through the line of this, this buffet, here's their dates. Oh, look at this pork. Put it on their bread. Oh, well, look at all this, this good pork that they have here. And I watched my daughter going, oh, I hope dad's not watching. I hope dad's not. I'm not even going to say anything. It's none of my business. But it was interesting to watch the, the convergence of these two different cultures and how 
my kids were going to react to it, as, even, as, even as something so little and seemingly so insignificant as what we put into our mouths, to watch it because they realized at that moment we're different and we're called to be different. So I didn't say anything. I was, I was very nice. I was very entertaining. I was, I was myself with them. But to watch them realize that there is going to have to be more planning into their marriages than into their weddings than they ever thought was going to ever have to happen. How do you work that out? How do you work these things out when there is such a difference in belief from, you know, where the kids go to school to what is being put on the dinner table? And these influences, uh, one of the, the kid's parents, um, uh, Nicholas's date, got Nicholas to the side one time and said, uh, well, you know, we don't eat, uh, we didn't used to eat pork. And so, tell me if you remember this, because this is one of the first things that, that kind of beleaguered me in the beginning. It was the fact that, well, we feed them differently now than what we did back then. So things have changed. Really? I, I don't see that anywhere. See, back in the 70s, in order to make this, this thing called pork cleaner, you remember what the big fad was? It was, freeze, it, was, it was flash freezing. The flash freezing was supposed to get rid of it. You know, that's one thing that people don't understand about, about pigs, is they were created for a certain purpose. And on your own time, if you want to go back to Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, take some time and look at those things that God says we should or shouldn't eat, but specifically the pig, and exactly, remember God said everything was created. He looked back at creation and said, oh, everything is good. Now, a pig, in and of itself, when used and utilized for the purpose that God created it in, there's nothing wrong with a pig. Kind of cute, I think, till you get them in a group and they start doing whatever they're doing and they're eating whatever they're eating, but you've seen those fuzzy little pigs with the curly tails, especially those little miniature fellows. I wouldn't mind having one, you know? But in and of itself, a pig, there's nothing wrong with it when we use it within the parameters of what God has outlined for its purpose and for our good. You know what they are? If you have a farm, they're garbage eaters. You want to get rid of your garbage? You don't have to call a trash man. Throw it to the pig. But then in the 80s, when they figured out that a flash freezing wasn't going to work, what they did back then, let me think, no, no. 70s, they, they fed it differently. The 80s, they, flash fro they put it through flash freezing, which was supposed to get rid of all the bacteria and things like that. But now, you realize what they're doing that still doesn't work? They are radiating it. All of this to make something clean that's not working, that God says you shouldn't eat to begin with. We're doing all these things to try to justify or to bring ourselves the ability to eat something God says you shall not eat. For it divideth the hook, but it does not cheweth the cud. And what people don't understand about what God says is clean and unclean, a lot of people will regulate this to simple ceremonially unclean. You've heard that before? You will just simply be ceremonially unclean. Have we ever considered some of the health issues that just eating pork can bring to us? You see, that's one of the biggest um, issues that people brought to my attention. Let's just go over to Mark chapter 7 here. Mark chapter 7. Of course, this is one of the proof texts that people often point to, erroneously so, to show that, that, that pork is now clean. And I wanted to bring you to this scripture here to illustrate some things. Jesus said this, There is nothing that enters man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are fitting, those are things that defile a man. So basically, what comes out of our mouth? What comes out of our heart? Because what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart, and it's either good or it's not good. So he continues here. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? 
Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. And Jesus, our Christ, was exactly 100% correct because he is 100% true knowledge. And he is truth. However, the problem with this text is, does anybody have a different translation? Is there a little bit of a, a, a side note that might lead you to believe? What does yours say? Did you? <laughs> So with this statement here, we're led to believe that Jesus Christ declared all foods clean. Okay, let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at some of the health issues that, that ingesting this thing called pork brings to us. You know that mankind has a way to justify things that he wants to do that God says not to do. And sometimes people ask me, why should you not eat pork? Well, that's a big conversation, but have we ever considered the aspect that maybe, just maybe, because God doesn't like it, is a good enough and sufficient reason for us because God says not to do it? But let's consider some of the other things. Do you know that a pig, in a way that it digests its food, and if I'm, if I'm incorrect, correct me, but I believe that the pig digests its food, the digestive process takes about four hours. And if you don't understand what that means, it, it, it has everything to do with how the fats in that animal becomes inculcated into its system. In other words, if a pig eats something, whether it's, it's something toxic or something poisonous, within four hours it becomes a part of its flesh. You know, there was a case down in Texas where a family, I think it was of four, they, had, they ate armadillo. No, they ate pig, excuse me. They ate a pig for dinner. Uh, they slaughtered it on their farm. The pig had just eaten an armadillo. The armadillo had just eaten a centipede, a poisonous centipede, or some poisonous creature of some kind. And within a few hours after ingesting that, almost the entire family died. Because that poison from that creature, whatever that armadillo ate, whatever that pig ate, went into their system, and it was toxic. It was toxic. There are no less, within a pig, at any given moment, five different types of worms in pig. Radiation doesn't kill it. Flash freezing doesn't kill it. Feeding it differently doesn't kill it. It is alive and well within a pig. I don't care how sanitary you try to make a pig, a pig is just a pig, and its digestive system is the same, and the diseases are going to be the same, so when we try to eradicate these things, we don't eradicate them. I watched a video not too long ago where this college professor challenged his class about the issue of pork. It was a, I believe it was a, some sort of medical class in which people were either going to become nurses or doctors or something like that. I don't remember. It's been some time ago. Where the professor goes out to the store and he shows you the package, USDA pork, puts the pork on the table, opens it up, puts it in a basin, puts it in a basin, and then pours coke over it. Have you seen that video? Pours coke on it. He says, just wait for it. He kind of agitates the flesh a little bit. I think it was like, like these, um, these sharp tweezers, and he agitated the flesh. The kids are just kind of, you know, kind of feeling their oats here. Well, there's nothing happening, nothing, nothing going on. Everything's fine. Two hours later, USDA-approved and inspected pork, worms started to come through the flesh. I think they even named one Squiggly when it came out. They, they named the worms as they came out. But this is food that the USDA is telling us is safe to eat, that God says it's never going to be safe to eat. You ever seen that food pyramid people base their diets off of? Well, you know who, who is behind that, don't you? You ever notice they have eggs here, they have pig over here, all this food pyramid. You, you know who's responsible for that? Farmers. Farmers who want to say their product is not medical at all. The food pyramid is a big lie. And as we're growing up, how many of you have heard this before? Everything in moderation. 
You know, the way that the, the, the chemistry of the pig works, some people think I'm crazy when I talk about this, but do you remember back in the 1990s, maybe it was even early, as, as, as recent as the early 2000s, do you remember we had this scare with mad cow's disease? You see these cows shaking, and, and I've even saw some people committing atrocities um, against their cattle. You know, you know, they were picking them up with, with bulldozers and these forklifts, and they were just treating them just, just, just harshly. You know, God says a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, and they weren't treating them very nicely, but they got the shakes. You know, what they were doing is they were feeding the cattle cattle product. And any time in nature, God's creation, we say Mother Nature is responsible for it, but any time in God's creation, when you see cannibalism being practiced, you will get mad cow's disease. They, they've even shown videos of people in remote tribes who have, have these shakes and mad cow's disease in people because they're eating each other. Have you ever considered the, the chemistry or the, the DNA makeup of a pig? Do you realize that we are roughly 98% related physically, physically now, to a pig? I'm not saying, because that 2% is a big difference, all right? But the thing about it is, the pig is so, the fleshly template and the chemistry for the pig flesh is so much like ours, it's almost like being a cannibal, I haven't watched a guy on TV, his name is Andrew Zimmer. You ever seen him? Called Bizarre Foods. Whew. I could tell you some of the things that are on his videos. But he's a Jewish man, and he goes around the world, and his motto is, if it looks good, eat it. Now, I'm sorry, but some of the things that he considers to look good look absolutely gut-wrenching and make me want to regurgitate. He went to a remote tribe one time, in some tropical setting, and he started, cut, he started cutting chunks out of this tree. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but he began to pour these, pull, pull out these wood boring worms about this long out of them, about that big around, and like he's eating pistachios on a Sunday watching football. Disgusting. But anyways, he, he's talking about... Um, dietary laws and really how it, it has to do with culture and nothing else. It's really not bad for you. But you realize that, that people who eat pork a lot suffer a lot of worm infestation from their um, digestive tracts to their hearts, even to their brains. There are a lot of people walking around this world with worms in their hearts, digestive tracts, and in their brains that cause a lot of mental problems with people. There are a lot of people who are now coming up with with, with Alzheimer's, they're, they're, they're coming up with all kinds of different forms of, of arthritis. When you think about how pig is 98% our makeup. Anyways, my point with talking about Am Andrew Zimmer was this in, in Bizarre Foods. He said, if you've tasted a pig, you've tasted human flesh. That's how genetically close we are related to them. So think about that for a second. Sound appealing? Doesn't sound too appealing to me. But even people um, who, who have ingested a lot of pork or their lives suffer these things, suffer these modalities, these, these uh, health issues that they're starting to figure out that it comes from ingesting things that we're not supposed to ingest and it's turning out to be that God was right the whole time. See, that's one of the debates that I hear oftentimes is I know you say that, I know your culture says that, but there's no scientific evidence to prove the fact that God is right. That's not true. That's not true. You see, we've been lied to. I can pull up a paper in my office that's loaded up in a pod that's somewhere where I don't know, and I could read you from this article some of the different scientific evidence that they've come up with. As early as 1954, there was a doctor at, at a, a seminary who did a theological and medical study an exhaustive study of Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, and he sat back and he studied all the animals that God said were clean, the things that God said were unclean, and guess what he found out? <gasps> Gasp! God was right! 
an expository view of Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 from a scientific position found that God was right. And by the way, talking about ecology and how God puts us in this symbiotic relationship and how we're relying upon creation and how creation's relying upon us and how everything that God has created is for the purposeful use of the environment. A lot of the things that God says we shouldn't eat, do you know what their main purpose is? To purify the things that we do eat. We wonder why we have problems with pollution in the oceans and the rivers. Quit eating the filtration system. You ever thought about a clam? Fresh water or salt water and the rise of all these pollutants? Well, guess what? If you start to eat what God said is used to purify or to filter out the environment, guess what you can expect? We are creating our own problems in this world. Now, God's creation has a way of really handling a lot that, that God can throw at it. We have all these pantheists and these panantheists and all these people that worship Mother Earth. They don't want us to, to drill oil and all these things. You remember a few years ago when that big oil leak happened in, in, in was it the Gulf of Mexico? You remember that? Barack Obama was a president. Oh, my goodness. Oh, everything is just so horrible. Everything is going to be ruined and destroyed. Within, what, two weeks, there was no evidence of it ever happening? That the earth that, way, that God created had a way of dealing with it? had a way of filtering it, had a way of cleansing it, and we think we know more than God does. See, that's the problem I have with the scientific community. It's not always that the two ideas are mutually exclusive. It's just when they encroach upon the, the scriptures and say, oh, we know better than God. This is not really what God meant. That's when I start to have an issue with it. So science and religion aren't always mutually exclusive. The people who are truthful with you will tell you that the more they look at evidence, that God is a reality. So we have these three different... Three different dietary, I guess you could say, um, possessions that are going on in America. It's either you're of the halal, not Hillel, not the guy who, who brought us the calendar, not him, but through the Islamic dietary code. You know, Islams, are, they're okay to eat shellfish. Clams, lobsters, and all these things, so it's not biblical. And then we have the kosher diet. Now, I always believe that the Christians that adhere to what, what I call to, maybe incorrectly, but I call it the Christian kosher diet, which we don't have to have a rabbinical priest bless our, our food, or we don't have to go to the great lengths of, of cleaning everything out. But over here in 1 Timothy, memory serves me correct, or is it 2 Timothy? No, it's actually, I was actually correct, 1 Timothy. The Christian kosher diet. And I know my time's growing short here. Now, in verse 1, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. This is verse 1, chapter 4, 1 Timothy, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. By the way, I need to interject here. I need to have a digression for just a second because this is probably one of the most grotesque things regarding the Sharia law that's being pressed upon Americans right now. We talk about Sharia law, and I'm only reminded of this because he's talking about commanding to abstain from marriage. I have to bring up the fact that Islam, that what they don't tell you is, when they talk about dying and getting their 70 virgins, those are nine-year-olds. Yeah, they're nine-year-olds. You see, that's also what Sharia law advocates. The marriage of an infant able to, in adult relation, consummate the marriage at nine years old. D I'll hold my words, but I'll tell you right now, it, it, it makes me want to say some things that probably I shouldn't say. A nine-year-old? Well, they're pigs! They're worse pigs than the pigs that they're not going to eat. I can't help it. 
It's grotesque. The clerics are allowed to have uh, little boy sex slaves. Did you know that? I'm sorry, brethren, but this stuff just gets my emotions going. It is disgusting. There are 70 virgins are nine years old. Shame on you. Pigs. I'm sorry, but that's what they are. The worst of the creatures they won't eat. Maybe I shouldn't apologize. Maybe I should. It is what it is now. So let the chips fall where they may. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Doctrine is so important. It's not, it's not everything, but doctrine is important. The clean and unclean meat doctrine is important. It really is. For it's for our benefit. It's for our health. It's for our health. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now is and which is to come. It's back up here. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Have you not heard that before? I can tell you there are times when I would go out to dinner with people and I would order a glass of wine, which, by the way, Jesus drank. Oinos, it's fermented. I don't want to get into that, but we know that there was no refrigeration and there was a preservation process, and it was that of fermentation. We know this. I, there, to me, there's no debate over that, but people still want to bring it up. But when I would order my dinner, I might be sitting there with Angie, and while they're passing around the shrimp cocktail or they're eating their lobster tail, they're looking at my glass of wine like I'm drinking out of the goblet of Satan himself. Like I'm the one who's doing something wrong here. You ever felt that uncomfortable pressure? And this is the hard thing to do, especially with our youth. Have you ever been somewhere and they serve something that you know you shouldn't eat and you're faced with the decision of telling them that I can't eat that? Oh, it's, oh I hate it. I hate that feeling because there is nothing more important or precious to people than what they eat. And when you tell people you don't eat what they eat, they take it as a personal attack on them. I've seen it a hundred times. Well, not a hundred times, but I've seen it a lot. Let's put it that way. I don't want to exaggerate. But you're made to feel like you're an oddball because you dare pick up a glass of wine, which I can prove to you that Jesus drank. I can prove to you that Jesus didn't eat pork. I can prove to you through the scriptures that God's dietary laws are still intact. But how are, are, are the foods that we eat, how are they sanctified? By prayer? Alone? I'll tell you what. Go home today and make yourself a nice poison ivy salad and pray over it. <laughs> huh? huh? How about with a nice little bit of arsenic dressing? And pray over it. Don't really do that. I'm going to caveat. Don't do that. Or how about a nice little hot cup of uh, Chernobyl-made tea and pray over it? Think about how ridiculous the argument is. That's ridiculous. How is it sanctified? By the Word of God and by prayer. What Word of God was he talking about here? You're an educated group of people. What Word of God was he talking about? We do know that they had some parchments in the New Testament going around. We know that, but... For all intents and purposes, the, the codification or the, or, or the uh, what, what am I looking for, Wayne, here? The, um, the allowance of the scriptures. I can't think of it right now, but how they decided what scriptures would be included in the Bible. I can't remember the theological. The canonization. Thank you, Wayne. I knew I could rely on Wayne there. The canonization of the scriptures had not occurred yet. But we do know that there were letters going back and forth and so forth that weren't necessarily utilized as a collection, so to speak. But we do know that those letters were going around. So the only word that they had was, in fact, the Old Testament, of which we have our roots in. So I know I'm out of time. Go back over and look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and other such verses where God says that we are God's temple. We are God's temple. God only wants certain things allowed into the temple. 
And sometimes I wonder if that sacrificial system, that offertory system that he made, wasn't symbolic for our understanding to show us what we ought to put in our bodies. Just an idea, not dogmatically speaking to it. But be that as it may, brother, we do have a lot of issues in our contemporary society that are bringing about bringing about the, the, the need to readdress and to reaffirm in our minds why we do some of the things that we do. I've never seen a more necessity in the latter times for this topic that is seemingly so simple than clean and unclean meats than I see today because of the pressures that are coming to our country using their laws to leverage, to change our laws, to change what our kids eat, to change what's in our grocery stores, to change our lifestyles. Brethren, the fact that God has created this whole earth, this globe, this ecological system, the creatures that he said were very good, he put man at the apex and said, overcome, subdue. He, said, he didn't say genetically modify, that's a whole topic I don't even get into yet. We find new ways to poison ourselves. As uh, God love him, Mr. Bill Lash from the Columbus congregation, who has since passed, used to tell me when it came to this topic, he said, you know what we're doing, Tony? He said, we're digging our own graves with our teeth. That has stuck to me, stuck with me, and resonated through all these years. But we do have some pressures. We do have... Some, some items of interest that contemporary society are bringing back to the forefront that maybe we haven't considered certain doctrines before. But in short, when it comes to this issue of clean and unclean, specifically that of the pig, it is not a Muslim issue. What we should eat and shouldn't eat is in fact a Christian issue. 